This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. And hello, everybody, and welcome to Knowledge at Wharton on Sirius XM 111, Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Thanks for spending part of your day with us. The Food and Drug Administration has approved for use a digital pill. It is designed to pass on information to family members and doctors about whether a patient is following his or her prescription instructions. The failure to do so is apparently part of a costlier issue, up to $100 billion of waste uh, in the sector each year. But there are some concerns that this might also be a case of, quote-unquote, Big Brother watching you. To take a look at this further, we are joined in studio by Rob. Field, professor of law and professor of health policy at Drexel University. He's also a lecturer here at Wharton. And also joining us in studio, Holly Fernandez Lynch, assistant professor of medical ethics at the University of Pennsylvania. Rob, good to see you again, as always. Thanks. Happy to be Holly, here. Holly, nice meeting you. Thank you for coming in today. Thanks for having me. Uh, with the cost I just mentioned, this seemingly is kind of an important move. Do you agree? Potentially it is. I think we're taking a baby step right now with one drug and a limited rollout with just a few insurance companies. But down the road, it could transform the entire uh, pharmaceutical sector. Uh, We would now uh, see that people were adhering to their medicines, and it would address a lot of public health issues like people uh, not taking antibiotics and um, promoting antibiotic resistance, uh, people with TB uh, not taking their medicines, um, people forgetting. Uh, so it, it has a lot of promise, and it could change our relationship to, to drugs. Uh, but, of course, it also uh, adds more data, and we yeah. know where uh, electronic data can go basically anywhere. Holly? You know, so this is an area where I think more research is needed because this drug in the digital form was not approved to, to improve adherence. There's the expectation that it will improve adherence, but what it was approved for was just tracking whether somebody has taken their pill or not. So the next step to make sure that we actually do see these financial benefits, you know, accruing to the healthcare system is to figure out whether people who take these digital pills actually do better following, you know, their medical, their medication regimens. Is there also an expectation, again, this may not play into exactly the reasoning why this is being approved, but an expectation that this could potentially have some impact on the the overdose problem, the opioid problem that we have in this country right now. You know, so that's something that hasn't, of course, yet been tested. This product just was approved, and it wasn't approved for use with opioids yet. But one of the things that people are talking about is if we can track how people are taking their pain medicines, their physicians will be able to say, hey, it looks like you're taking too much before it becomes a problem. So I think that's an important implication for how this technology could be used. Yeah, I think as long as the information is between the patient and the physician, it's got a lot of great potential. But you think of all the third parties who could could get access either properly or improperly. And I'm thinking not just of government agencies and public health officials, but for instance, employers who want to make sure that their workers are taking their drugs or the insurance company uh, that wants to make sure you're compliant. So uh, 
there's a lot of possibilities once this data is out there. Well, one of the other interesting things to this is that in the writing about it, they talk about not only will this information be able to be available for the doctors, but they're talking about other family members. So it's almost, as I said, like a little bit of Big Brother watching you. Other family members, obviously, that would be concerned of whether or not that person is taking that medication, if they're taking too much of it, whatever, and just to you know to help guide them along the way has positives and negatives. It seems like I, you know I think that's right and. The idea is that this is all voluntary, right? You voluntarily put the right. patch on your body that's receiving the signal. You voluntarily agree to take this version of the pill as opposed to others. You decide who you want to be receiving information about whether you've taken your pills. But we haven't yet mentioned that this product was approved for a drug called Abilify, which is yeah. used for schizophrenia, bipolar, and is an add-on for depression. And so these are patients who, you know, for schizophrenia, for example, may be facing paranoid delusions. Delusions. And so one of the things that I've seen people talk about is whether this was the right product to start with. On the one hand, I think it can have huge benefits for, for populations who are facing mental health issues, right? If you um, you know, have schizophrenia and you miss doses of your medicines, that's very bad, mm-hmm. right? And so it makes sense in that regard to start with them. On the other hand, we might have concerns about whether that population has you know, the capacity to consent to this type of you know, medication. And, and to step back, I guess let, let's lay out how this would actually work. I mean, they're talking about people taking a pill that would be able to uh, initially send information to a patch so that then that would be relayed to an app, which you would have on your phone or in in the case of a doctor, probably into the computer that they would have at the office so that that information that is coming on terms of dosage use amount is actually relayed via digital technology so that you can keep track of of what is used and what is not used. Yeah, there really are a lot of moving parts to this. Uh, So the, the patient has to not just take the drug, but wear the patch. And then they have to have a phone or some other device nearby uh, with a Bluetooth connection to the patch. Uh, And then they have to have the app, and the app has to go to the doctor. So there are a lot of links in the chain that that could get severed. And uh, I guess one of the questions then is, for people who are noncompliant to begin with, will they be compliant with the technology regimen, even if they're now um, able to take the drug? Right. So you have to wear the patch. You could take the patch off, right? That would be one easy way to not relay your information to people you don't want to have it. And you also have to remember to change the patch every week. So there, you know, you're not going to completely address non-adherence. You know, we've started to discuss this as though it's the sort of thing that's going to be foisted upon people, right. you know, involuntarily or, you know, against their their will. It could just be used for people who really want to adhere to their medicines, yeah. want reminders, you know, and forget. Um, it's very difficult to just remember to take your pills at the same time every day. Yeah. People have all sorts of, you know, little heuristics that they use. They might set a, an alarm on their phone or, you know, try to take their pills with breakfast every morning or those types of things. So in, in that regard, this is just another step along the trajectory of trying to help people do what they already wish they were able to do on their own. Well, a lot of people would say that, you know, when you think about potentially who this would affect, you, you're talking about potentially older citizens that obviously do have to take a regimen and may not forget. I mean, this could obviously affect a lot of different people, but 
in the initial thinking, that's probably who they're, they're to a degree, gearing this towards, correct? Well, I think that will probably be the next step, right? I mean, it was initially approved just for this this patient population, um, you know, with schizophrenia, bipolar, and depression. But the, the potential uses are much, much broader than that. And it's, the, it, it's not totally atypical for us to see these things where information is getting sent to physicians. There are electronic pill bottles. Um, there are electronic, those little packages where you can put... Uh, your daily doses in for, Mm -hmm. you know, Sunday through Saturday. Those things have been made in electronic form that can send messages. Um, So, again, this is not a totally new technology. What's new about it is that this is something that you swallow, um, and it's less it's less easy to game the system, right? So if I have an electronic pill bottle, I can open the top and flush my pills down the toilet, right? This right. is um, the next step to avoid that kind of gaming. So one exciting possibility for this technology that we haven't had before is information on dose. So it, it's um, the device is triggered by your stomach uh, acid, and it can actually tell whether the pill is being digested and how much of it you're getting. Uh, so e- if you're a completely compliant patient and you simply want to know, is my statin uh, getting digested and getting absorbed, uh, that would be important information. And that's an exciting frontier that we have not been able to address before. is the number to join in with your questions or your comments. We're talking about the approval of this digital pill by the Food and Drug Administration. We're joined in studio by Holly Fernandez-Lynch of the University of Pennsylvania, Rob Field of Drexel University, 844-942-7866. If you're not able to join us by phone, you're more than welcome to send us a comment via Twitter, and we'll bring it up on the show that way. You do uh, use at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. This just does highlight again, Rob, the, the, the fact that we're in a time right now in a lot of sectors, but in healthcare specifically, uh, where digital in- and innovation are really, they, they are taking the next variety of steps that we need to go where, where our health is concerned. Yeah, healthcare, like much of our economy, is rapidly becoming an information-based industry, and it's less and less uh, what the people do and the equipment that they use than it is the information and how we manipulate that and how we make sense of that. So this is uh, adding a whole lot of new data to the mix. Uh, It has very exciting potentials, not just at the individual clinical level, but at the public health level. Uh, So if we want to see, for instance, uh, whether a drug is actually effective, we can see whether people are taking it and whether it's actually being absorbed. Which I guess is is kind of an assumption that a lot of people have is that if you're taking a medicine, that it's going to be effective for you because you're being, you know, you're being given this medicine to begin with. But I guess that's not the case all the time. No, uh, people react very differently. It's called bioavailability, how much of the drug is actually available to you. And it's particularly uh, an issue with generics, uh, which uh, is, is not a an issue with the Abilify, uh, but but down the road, uh, some people react uh, to generics, some people don't, in large part because their body does or does not absorb it. Uh, Another exciting frontier is clinical trials, uh, where often patients are not compliant, so we don't really know if the drug is working because we don't know if people are really taking it. Well, the other piece to it is that, as you alluded to, Holly, is that this is is an opt-in by the person, by the patient, if they want to, to take this this version of medication and be tracked this way, uh, you do have some people, and I guess this is you know more of a societal piece to it than the medical part to it, that 
they may have concerns of having other family members knowing what's going on or reminding them, kind of almost bugging them to to a degree. So, I mean, again, the, the buy-in by the individual is really the key here, that they don't have to do it, but it's something that may very well help them on a variety of ways. So I think that is a key ethical protection, and it's important that we keep that in mind because, it, you know, it could be a slippery slope, right, where you say, well, look, you don't have to take this if you don't want to. You don't have to wear the patch if you don't want to. But along comes your insurance company and says, we are not going to cover the drug unless you wear the patch. Right. Or they might say, hey, if you wear the patch, we'll waive your copay or something like that, right? And so then we have to start asking is it still voluntary? When does it no longer become voluntary? But I guess that's also the reaction of the insurers as well. Yeah. Well, right now they're as uncertain as, as anyone else. And this is being rolled out again with just a few insurers to see how the program works. But as Holly was saying, it's certainly possible that they could say, uh, if you don't wear the patch, there's a copay. Uh, and if you do wear the patch, there's not. And maybe there's some bonus if you let us see the data. Um, it is a slippery slope. But there there are those instances where you do receive benefits for being able to right. go forward and, and be a part of a trial. So, I mean, this, that part of it's not new. It's, again, it's the decision of the person. It, it, but this is taking it to another level. Yeah. So we have had for a while an insurance benefit if you belong to a health club. Right. You know, they'll pay for it, yeah. and sometimes yeah. they'll, they'll lower your premium. And the next step, which we've been hearing a little bit about, is you have to actually show up at the health club. So they will look to see if you um, sign in. Yeah. Uh, the next step is to see, are you really using equipment? Uh, so this is, is really just another step in that progression, but it's a, a major one. What happens to the digital pill once you ingest it? My understanding is that your body just digests it eventually yeah. and, um, you know, that there's nothing, nothing that needs to get removed from your body or anything of that nature. Yeah, it's the size of a grain of sand. And I think you either absorb it or you excrete it. But uh, there, as, as far as they say, uh, there are no consequences. But, but it is interesting to be able to have, you know, be able to have that that pill and digest it. And it obviously evaporates over a course of time. Yet it it is still able to transmit the information yeah. on a, you know, on a daily basis to be able to. To, uh, to to take that next step well, so in the process. Well, so you take an, another pill each okay. time, right? Yeah. Okay. So it's not, you know, constantly streaming oh, right. information, right. Right? right? You know, so one pill will stream the information whether you took that pill. Um, and I hadn't heard about the bioavailability portion of it, but I guess it's, you know, giving that data as well. And then the data stops, right? And yeah. you take another pill and then okay. the data goes So this again, will right? be incorporated in whatever the medication is in, in all of the pills that you will have in a particular dosage. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So you think of a capsule, uh, the, another grain of sand in there you would never notice. Right. Uh, so you would really never notice it was there. 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. Your comments are welcome via phone, or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, and we'll bring it on the show that way, at BizRadio111, or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Clark Summit, Pennsylvania, near Scranton. Lady J, go ahead. Yes, hi. Um, having uh, dealt with uh, mental uh, health issues directly in my immediate family, uh, again, I feel it's... Um, it's a stretch. I think a controlled, a small controlled environment of people would benefit from this. But again, it comes to enforcement. It's more products having to be created, more expense on the patients and the insurance companies and the doctor's offices having to monitor. Um, again, a direct approach, a one-on-one -on -one with a, a patient that has these uh, issues 
Um, I still believe hands-on is, is the best approach. Um, I, I, I don't see it being a, a great solution. Um, I see it being a very micro solution to right. small groups of people. Okay, so there's a couple points, I think, to bring up there. One, again, that, that face-to-face contact with the doctor is still very important. Uh, but two... If you're thinking about the use of this and the preventative side of this going forward, I mentioned earlier the waste that is kind of seen in this area, $100 billion a year in terms of medications that are not taken or uh, extra effects medically that are felt by patients because of this. This would seemingly, and again, we're still a long way from getting to this point, this would seemingly be leading us down the road to be able to eliminate a lot of this waste that, that's in the system. It's something that we just need more data to see how it, how it plays out. But the idea is that it can be a cost-saving measure. Atsuko, which is the company that just got this product approved, has not yet set a price for it. Right. Um, so I have, you know, we have no data to be able to tell whether it's going to be astronomically expensive or something that's reasonable to insert in many pills, right? If you have to take multiple daily doses of some of these medicines, you know, the, the expense could add up depending on how what price they set for it. Yeah, become radioactive with all the <laughs> emissions. Um, but oh. the, the, the pricing, I think, is a very good point because you said $100 million in waste. How much more are we going to pay for these pills and will the insurers push back? Yeah. So the economics is crucially important. One of the aspects of Abilify is it's gone off patent and they're generic competitors. Uh, so uh, part of the business aspect of it is it gives them the chance to have a new branded medicine that they can charge more for. Um, uh, will the insurers uh, accept that? Uh, I think there's uh, a lot to be seen before we know. Part of the issue, though, is this idea that if, if in particular, um, mental health patients are not taking their medicines, you, you'll see hospital readmissions yeah. and those types of things, which are obviously quite expensive right. in and of themselves. 844-942-7866 is the number to join in with your comments or co- your questions. We are joined in studio by Holly Fernandez-Lynch, who is an assistant professor of medical ethics here at the University of Pennsylvania. Rob Field from uh, Drexel University, Professor of Law and Professor of Health Policy, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. I guess the, the other path to kind of go down with this is seemingly uh, when you have this type of addition to a medicine, we're going to see the potential of more and more of these types of sensors being potentially added to our medicines, which, again, goes back to the cost factor that we're we're looking at. And we're already in a time where costs have been rising for our medicines and our care as well. It's not just our medicines. This could be in our food. Uh, we, we could actually have to uh, electronically report whether we ate our broccoli. Um, <laughs> the, 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 I'm going to tell my kids about this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, uh, yeah, it, it could become the norm. And right now, pricing is a major concern. But as with most technologies, it will probably get cheaper and cheaper as time goes by. Uh, You think of any computerized device. Uh, So it could be that we are now expected to have this. You so, know, the, I, I worry a little bit that that's, um, that's a bridge too far, right? We, yeah. we, like I said, we've seen electronic pill bottles. We've seen these sorts of things. You know, 
part of the reason they haven't taken off is because you can so easily avoid them. Um, but we don't see them being prescribed to patients for every drug that they that they might use, right? So I I suspect that this type of product is going to have limited utility for certain types of interventions, right? Mm-hmm. The mental health population, um, geriatric populations, for example. Um, this particular approval was not for pediatric patients, and I think that's important. Look, once it's approved, it can be used by physicians off-label for, you know, w- w- um, in, in pediatric populations. But that was not its intended use. Right. That would raise a whole host of other right. um, privacy uh, and oversight was, issues. I was think. there were there specific reasons why they picked Abilify as the as the medicine to really focus on this in the first place? I think it's what Rob mentioned before about the business strategy of Abilify going off patent and being subject to generic competition. Um, on the one hand, like I like I mentioned before, there's been discussion, oh, you know, is this popula- patient population the right one to have started with? You know, I, I think there's a good reason to start in this population, as I mentioned. They are at risk, um, very serious risk, when they don't comply with their medication regimens. And so there's pros and cons of this particular population. But I think it was business strategy why they started with Abilify. Rob? I think the really exciting possibilities are infectious diseases, TB patients who now often have to be observed to make sure they take their patients. We can now do it remotely. Uh, AIDS patients, antiretrovirals, uh, to make sure they're taking it. Uh, so I think those uh, k- kinds of drugs. Now, unfortunately, a lot of those are generic and off patent, so you don't have the same economic. Fortunately, incentive. also. Of course, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. That's true too. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I stand corrected on that. Um, and the other is what I mentioned before: clinical trials. Uh, so we can have a sense of whether uh, you give the, pay, the, the subject. Uh, the pill, whether they're actually taking it. So then how close do you think we could potentially be to, I mean, obviously we have to learn more about this study and, and how it, it impacts with with these patients, but how closely could they be, assuming that, you know, the, the results are positive, to being able to tackle some of those other diseases that you mentioned with this same type of technology? So I think, yeah, this is a, a limited rollout. It's a baby step, and we're not looking at pediatric populations and geriatric populations. We're just looking at a small subset of people who take Abilify. Uh, but it's sort of the beta test uh, to, to see if it works. Um, and if it does work, if it does succeed and, and the pricing can work, uh, I think we will see it rolled out in more contexts. Holly? I um, totally agree that the clinical trial context is the most exciting use for this sort of thing. So take the example of PrEP, pre-exposure prophylaxis for HIV. These are medicines. You can take antiretrovirals if you um, engage in risky sex practices, for example, to avoid getting infected with HIV. These are incredibly effective if you take them regularly. And so in the clinical trials that were testing the the, uh, efficacy of PrEP, what they did was some subset analyses so that they were able to tell people who adhered to the medication regimen were protected against HIV. People who didn't were not, right? But if they hadn't been able to do that kind of subset analysis, it might have looked like PrEP didn't work. And so if we have clinical trials where we can tell whether people are taking the medicines as they are told to, we might avoid throwing away products that look like they don't work when really the problem is that people aren't taking them, which is another issue, right? Then you have to figure out why people are not taking them. But it will allow us to get much more fine-tuned data in clinical trials. But again, the, the kind of the key component here is the people that are actually taking these medications to begin with. And as you said, when you're talking about something like schizophrenia or, you know, whether or not that person feels like they are being 
pressured, whether they have agreed to do it, I mean, if they've agreed to do it, they could still feel that quote-unquote pressure that they feel like they're being, you know, kind of put under the microscope even further. I, you know, I think that's true. In, in all of these things, it can go in both directions. So right. in a couple of the news stories, um, some patients said, look, you know, for patients with paranoid delusions, sometimes they're paranoid that people are always watching them. Sometimes they're paranoid that people won't believe them, that they yeah. are taking their medicines. And yeah. so it could be valuable for them to be able to say, look, I'm really doing it. Back off. Right. Yeah. The other benefit, though, is is the fact that the way they are doing this and the fact that they are doing it with an app and with mm-hmm. obviously the prevalence of people having smartphones, you know, majority of, uh, of people here in the U.S. or around the world is, as this potentially develops. This is truly the way that, that, that you want, if you're going to go down this path, this is the way you have to go, right? Right, right, right. So you have the technology compliance as well. Uh, But to get back to the issue of the psychiatric conditions, um, you can think of schizophrenia, severe depression, where the patient just isn't motivated, either because they have delusions or they just don't have the energy to, to take the pill. Once they get on that regimen, uh, there's a sea change, and they can start to think clearly, and they realize, oh, I'm so glad I was taking this. So yeah. it might be very useful to get them over that hump to the point where they do understand what the medication is yeah, doing. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I've heard that this might be potentially used for is if people have been, you know, in a psychiatric facility, and there's a question, you know, they might be a danger to themselves or others, and there's a question about whether they ought to be released. Right. This might be a tool where we we could say, okay, we don't need to keep this person confined anymore. If they're on their medication, they're well controlled. Um, And this will allow us to check and make sure that they are continuing to take the medication that seems to work for them. So in that context, it seems to be a benefit, right? You can either have somebody confined in a mental institution or back at home, right? And so, you know, in that way, it's kind of freedom generating. We've been talking about all of the privacy concerns, but there are benefits, Great having you both here. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Rob Field from Drexel University. Holly Fernandez-Lynch here from the University of Pennsylvania. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.